snippets of timeless classics with ramblings on everything bookish, Ink and Quill connects you with literature, culture and writers in China and around the globe. Discovering literature and following the stories behind your favorite authors. This is Ink and Quill. I'm your host, Yang Yong. April 23rd marks the World Book and Copyright Day, a date that pays tribute to books and authors while encouraging everyone to discover the pleasure of reading. So, to celebrate this special occasion, in today's episode, we have put together a list of favorite reads from our colleagues. To find out what sort of stories have moved, inspired, and enlightened them in the past few months, let's take a listen. Hey there! Welcome to this edition of Book Chat. I'm your book critic Shi Yu. Since people all around the world are about to celebrate the World Book Day, I think it's high time for us to recommend some wonderful writings we personally love for anyone who wants to read and chill. So join me in the studio today are two of our regular guests and fellow book lovers, Ningjie and Sire. Guys, thank you so much for coming here. Thanks, Thanks for having us. Thanks, Shi Yu. Okay, so Ningjing, tell me which book has caught your attention recently. Well, the first book that I would recommend here is Claudius the God. If you are a fan of、um, Roman history and if you are a fan of historical fiction, then definitely I would recommend this book. This book is the second book about the Emperor Claudius of the Roman Empire by、oh. British author Robert Graves. So the first book was I Claudius. And this book is a historical fiction, not a history book. I have to emphasize that it was narrated in the first person to give the readers the impression that it is the Emperor Claudius himself, you know, narrating everything.、Mm. It's his autobiography, but、mm-hmm. it is it is not. So I guess. For those who are not quite familiar with the Roman history, maybe we need to know a little bit about Claudius. So, who is Claudius? He was the Roman emperor from 41 to 54 A.D. He was the grandson of Augustus Caesar's sister Octavia. So, his maternal grandparents were Mark, Antony, and Octavia. And he was therefore the great great grand nephew of Gaius Julius Caesar. Everybody knows Caesar.、Mm-hmm. So he reigned Roman Empire for thirteen years. And why people are interested in him is, like many Chinese emperors, Claudius' accession to the emperorhood was very dramatic. Yeah, I think Shiyu knows a lot about. This person, right? Yeah, because I remember he had some physical disability. Yeah. So his ambitious relatives never regard him as a serious threat. Yeah, that's true. He's got a limp and he's got a slight deafness, and some people say that he's got stutter. So、mm-hmm. a lot of issues regarding to his health when he was a child, and so his family never ever, you know, give him the right, yeah,、um, so、the right kind of attitude, although. He He's from the noble family.、Mm. Uh, he's been constantly ignored,、yeah. and his his mother even referred him as a monster.、Mm. However, according to historians, he was a gifted scholar, and he's a 
historian. Yeah. We should say he's quite smart, but because of his weakness in his uh, physical conditions, mm-hmm. his enemies never considered him as a serious threat, as mentioned by Shi Yu. And so his nephew was the emperor of Roman Empire. So when his nephew was assassinated, he was the only person that was not killed. Because of this assassination, he was pushed to the chair of the emperor. Yeah. So that was how he got there. A lot of interesting stories because of the way he rose to the emperorhood. Mm-hmm. He didn't have a very good relationship with the Senate. Yeah. And so constantly he was faced with assassins. Yeah. And so he killed some senators. Mm-hmm. So to many ancient authors, he was seen uh, and regarded as a very weak emperor. Yeah, But he achieved a lot of things. He expanded the territory of the Roman Empire. He actually uh, succeeded in conquering Britain. Yeah, if you didn't count, you know, the conquest of Caesar. Yeah, exactly. And the thing that I recommend this book is, this is not an academic book about history. It was um, told with a lot of stories, told in a very funny way that you just can't imagine. Ah, Is this serious history? Really? You know, I didn't read this one, but I read the previous one. The first book. Yeah, because in this book, it's still, you know, written in first person perspective. And I think because Claudius, he kind of established himself as the author of the history of his family, and he is determined to write the truth. So I think the first one is kind of really serious, but yep. it's totally different, I think, you know, judged by what you have just said. Well, it does. I mean, the author is, is quite smart. He actually put the extant letters, speeches, and sayings into this second book. Mm-hmm. I think more so with the second book than the first one. And so people just get the fake impression, ah, could this be the real autobiography? But it is actually not. And it is written like a kind of a folklore style to me. <laughs> it's not like really serious. It's kind of like his own diary mm-hmm. thing there. Sounds so interesting. How, yeah. How thick is the book? I can't remember the pages. Okay. Medium thick. Well, since Ningjing, you're talking about history, I really want to recommend a book about history as well, but instead of a specific person. This book is actually about ecosphere. Over the past half billion years, there are actually five major extinctions, you know, when life on the Earth, they suddenly and quite dramatically just vanished. So the last one, and I think it's the most well-known mass extinction, resulted in the demise of dinosaurs. Mm-hmm. And and we think, okay, so extinction has nothing to do with us. But in the book called The Sixth Extinction and Unnatural History, American writer, journalist, philosopher, and environmentalist Elizabeth Colbert tries to us, no, the extinction is happening right now. And it's kind of scary because she is a reporter for New Yorker. So she has opportunity to travel worldwide talking with people from different, you know, academic sphere. She tries to trace back, you know, certain cases or species are going to die. And, you know, by the end of the book, she kind of telling us human behaviors are actually accelerating the process of extinction. Mm -hmm. You know, like, Mm -hmm. for example, when we travel, we will take animals and plants to somewhere they originally didn't belong. You know, nowadays, every 30 days, a new species arrived in Hawaii. 
but before human ever you know settles their food on the island, every ten thousand years there will be a new species. So we kind of you know make things really fast,、mm. and all those governments around the world they're talking about how to control the carbon dioxide、mm-hmm. em- emissions, but. This gas is not only affecting the atmosphere; it also affecting the ocean. Yeah, because, the marine species as well. Yeah, because when this gas is actually being absorbed by the ocean, it really became acid, and the ocean acidification could、mm-hmm. actually, you know, wrecking havoc on really fragile ecosystem.、Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, even though the writer used all kind of. Academic jargons. She has done a really amazing job by introducing all those cases, by explaining them in a very engaging, lucid, and accessible post. So even though we don't have academic background in environment or biology, you could still understand. And those vivid graphic examples could make people to understand how we live actually in a tsunami of、mm. extinction. I don't want to use the word, but I still feel like we're going to doom. I don't know. For some reasons, many people don't believe. You know, we are responsible for destroying the integrity of the plant's ecosystem. All those things we love so much could be lost, and they are going to be lost because of us. Uh huh.、Mm. I think I heard a piece of news about、mm-hmm. the bleaching in the Australian, the big coral reef,、mm-hmm. because of the climate warming there,、mm-hmm. and so a lot of species was lacking food, and so some of the species just、uh, wouldn't be there, and、yeah. also. There's this bleaching of the coral reef. I guess two months ago we also had the news about the last white male、oh. rhino, the,、yep. the death of it,、uh, which also means that there are only two female white rhinos in the world, and when they die, there won't be any white rhino species. So I definitely believe that、uh, this book is going to catch the attention of a lot of people. Yeah,、mm. in 2015, it won the best nonfiction, you know, of Pulitzer Prize, and the jury said. The Sixth Extinction is a book likely to be mankind's most lasting legacy, as the author Cobot observes. It compels us to rethink the fundamental question of what it means to be human.、Yep. So I think it's a very thought-provoking book, and I highly recommend to anyone. Is it like a thick book or a easy-to-read one? Ah.、Uh... Because it's separated into different chapters,、mm-hmm. so actually you can jump from different chapters、oh. as you reading different articles. But if you have trouble to understand certain, you know, academic writings, it probably will be a little bit difficult. But so, so, so it's like an academic kind of writing style. Uh, not exactly, because she's still a journalist. Oh, okay, that's good. Yeah.、Mm-hmm. So, Sarai, yeah, tell me which book is rolling around in your head. So I'm going to talk about the book by、uh, Robert Putman,、mm-hmm. his book "Our Kids: The American Dream and Crisis." I liked this book because I think it has a very special way in telling the story. You know, in the first place, I thought this book was a little bit difficult to read because it combines like. Very hard kind of analysis of the social events,、mm-hmm. but then it will come transit to like a very specific description or very vivid recording of people's life. So while you are reading this book, it's like you will know. At first, a general picture of what's going on in the American society from family perspective or from a parenting style perspective,、mm-hmm. and then you get to understand in details of 
how he actually came to that kind of conclusion. Mm -hmm. So in this book, this author mainly argues that uh, even though the American people believe in the uh, equal opportunities, like, you know, one's fate or one's destiny should not be limited by its family backgrounds, but instead its own talents and its own efforts and stuff. But According to the, how to say, the examination or the research done by Putman, he actually argues that kids nowadays in the United States, because of the the family backgrounds and because of the parenting style, they are actually, even though they are going to better schools, but they are living a harder life. So maybe the Americans are not be able to guarantee the fact that their kids will grow better than themselves. So he used this series of stories, or maybe the records of people's life or families from various places like in rural areas, or from the suburbs or from big cities, Mm -hmm. and you'll be able to see kids growing up from different family backgrounds, demonstrate different characteristics. And at the end, those characteristics would actually define their fate. The reason why I want to recommend this book is the content of this book actually contrasts drastically with my experience in the United States, because all my friends, at least my colleagues or my cohorts in the United States, maybe most of them are from the middle class families. And that makes me feel that that is American people. Mm. You know, they lead a very decent life. But while I was reading this book, I realized there are actually a lot of people are not like my friends and my colleagues, for example, two staffs in a Kroger shops, they get married, they have maybe two children, and then it was so easy for them to get divorced. And then they start to find their new partners, and then they have their own babies as well. So the process for them to getting married and getting divorced, it seems like a very easy decision. Mm -hmm. And it's not quite, how to say, shocking for the American people themselves, like if they have five kids sitting around the same table, but not sharing a same mom or same dad. Mm. And then, you know, when you think about the fate of these children, it's like, how are they going to achieve their American dreams, but they are true, and they exist. And a lot Mm. of people are choose to to ignore this fact. And then talking about, you know, how energetic, how innovative the country is. I'm not saying American is not a great country. I'm just saying like, what I've read in this book actually contrasts with my own experience. Yeah, I think even in China, now the society has uh, put a lot of pressure on the kids. Yeah, because Every Chinese parents also have the same sort of expectation that their kids should be, you know, faring much better than themselves. They should succeed. Yes. They're also faced with a lot of pressure, a lot of competition. Mm -hmm. So I guess a lot of people would be interested in reading that story from America. I like this book, but then this book is more about like families and parenting styles. And if you are interested in how to give better opportunities for your kids, or maybe better your parenting style, then it will be a good book. Or you want to know, want to observe the American society 
from a different kind of perspective. Because usually you talk about economics or maybe innovation about this country, and there are little books about how actually different families are going on in、mm. the United States. I think this book sounds really interesting because it could shed new lights on American society、yep. for most readers. Because we regard, you know, most powerful, most advanced country around the world, but.、Mm. It tells us how the reality contrasts with our expectation,、mm. or what we've seen from the big silver screen, right? Yeah,、mm. yeah. Well, since ceramics such、Do、a great example about、okay. books like that, I have another book kind of similar to this one. Our kids is called "The Almost Nearly Perfect People: The Truth About the Nordic Miracle." You know,、okay. nowadays we have this kind—I don't know how to address them—a Nordic wave or Scandinavian fantasy or fever. You know, many people are fascinated about this. Nordic people, they seem so、uh-huh. happy. Yeah. yeah. Okay. The social benefits system is very well, and they seem to be quite happy with their jobs and holidays.、Yeah. And the kids seem to be doing really well in maths and every other subjects, and they don't even spend so many days in at school, right? Yeah.、Mm-hmm. So author of this book, Michael Booth. He tries to tell us it's probably not because he's British and he married to a Danish woman,、okay. so they moved to Denmark and lived there for about fifteen years. When he lived there, he travels through those five Nordic countries: you know, Denmark, Iceland, Norway, Finland, and Sweden. In his book, he kind of gives us his perception of those regions, and he gives us some quite alternative perspective and to something. You know less known facts about those countries. For example, the collapse of Iceland's largest banks in 2008, the far-right political group in those countries, and the justice system in Sweden. And he tried to break away this overall extremely positive image about Nordic people. Because when I got my hand on this book, you know the magazine said it's a book about travel. So I expected to be another Bill Bryson's book, a bit funny, a little bit you know. Witty and but a little bit cheeky, but turn out this book is is interesting. It's hilarious as well, but it's very fact basis. And I think this is a book could make you to think about how to build a better society and the strengths and weakness of welfare state promises. I think compared with the last book, I recommend the Sixth Extinction. It's less serious, but it's still thought provoking. But it's a much easier read.、Mm-hmm. Since it's been categorized as a travel book, does it also introduce some places in those countries? Not in a very traditional way. Ah, I see. It's more about the society、yeah. instead of about those scenic spots, right? Yeah, it's about society, the history between those five countries. You know, their own perceptions of themselves.、Hmm, sounds like it's good. That was our book critic Shi Ru, joined by Ningjing and Surei to discuss some of their favorite writings. But what else has enchanted these bookworms? Let's find out after this short break. How to adapt a thriller into a movie? What is your favorite toilet reading? And when to give up on paperback? Want to know the answers? Join our discussion about all the trendiest topics on Ink and Quill. Welcome back. So Ningjing, tell us what's on your mind. Since you've mentioned about the Nordic countries, I'm going to stay in Europe and introduce a book from Europe, actually from Britain. So it's a book by Neil McGregor,、uh, "A History of the World in 100 Objects."、Ooh. 
Last year, we actually had this exhibition yeah, in, I went in there. Beijing. Yep, you went there and you told me quite a lot about it. And I don't know whether the exhibits are a perfect match to those ones mentioned in this book,、mm -hmm. but I guess it could be. First, this book is written by Neil McGregor, and he was the director of the British Museum、mm -hmm. from 2002 to 2015. So definitely, he knows his business. Yeah. So I would say each of the objects defines a special chapter in the human history. It selected 100 objects out of over eight million collections at the British Museum,、mm -hmm. and they review over two million years. Mm -hmm. Of the development and history of human civilization,、mm -hmm. to a lot of people, they might consider this book as a dry, dull、yeah. book introducing some ancient relics.、Mm -hmm. But it's not. To me, each of those objects tell stories. So I can cite two examples. One is a jade disc from China.、Mm -hmm. uh, the jade disc was、uh, produced three thousand years ago. But then, when it got into the hands of Emperor Qianlong from the Qing Dynasty, he had his personal poem carved into the jade disc. He even made a bowl, a porcelain bowl,、mm -hmm. to. Match this jade disc, and I can't say his poem was particularly elegant. <laughs>、um, but he's the emperor; he has the right to do that. Yeah. But it actually revealed his character as an ardent art lover, and also it revealed his idea about being the emperor of the Middle Kingdom, like the center of the universe.、Ah. And、uh, the other example is the bronze head bust of、uh, Augustus Caesar, the first Roman emperor. That head bust was made around the time he was proclaimed emperor after he defeated the Egyptian queen Cleopatra, which is a famous piece in the world history.、Mm -hmm. So the sculptor looked young, handsome, confident, and、uh, like a super. Control in his mind, but ironically, this statue was、uh, once destroyed by one of Roman Empire's enemies, and the enemies buried the head bust underneath the steps of a temple.、Mm -hmm. So, whoever comes into in and out of the temple would be stepping over Augustus' head. Mm -hmm. Until the day it was rediscovered and、uh, transported to the British Museum,、mm -hmm. so there's this irony. Although Augustus Caesar was the supreme emperor, there was defeat, you know, during his reign there.、Mm -hmm. The reason I would recommend this book is、uh, it covers Africa, the Americas, Europe, Asia, different continents across different time periods, and、mm -hmm. it also puts together things that. Happened at the same period, and the books tells you about food and sex, the early cities and nations, the earliest start of literature and science, and the makers of empires and so on.、Mm -hmm. So they follow a very loose timeline, and you can learn quite a lot about history. You know, last year when I went to check that exhibition about the world history in 100 objects at the National Museum of China. It was just so crowded, and I didn't have enough time to check out each object in details.、Mm -hmm. It's just the brief introduction of it. So I wonder, it's the same case with this book. 
I wouldn't say it's the same case. With this book, I would say you can learn the stories behind each object, the history there, the stories, and the you know everything there, like the economic、uh, development situation around that same period. So,、mm. is it a book for general readers, or is it just for you know history lovers? I think the general readers can also enjoy it very much. Hmm. I mean, you may not be interested in every object, but definitely you can find something that you might have interest in.、Hmm. Hmm. You know, since you're talking about China society, it makes me remember also I interviewed Lucia and her book. Have you guys ever imagined a society where a man is never the boss? There is no husband or wives, and also there is no divorce, and nuclear family never exists. Can you imagine where in China? Um, in Yunnan, around Lugu Lake. Exactly. Oh wow! <laughs> It's extremely interesting because the author Chu Wai Hong, she used to work for top law firms in California and Singapore. And one day she just realized, no, I don't want to work for the boys' club anymore, and I don't want to play by their rules because she's of Chinese descent. So she started to travel around in China, and accidentally she find out there's a village. It's used to called the Kingdom of Women, just located in Yunnan, not far away, you know, from the Himalaya mountains.、Mm -hmm. So she went there and she stayed with that community for about six years. Her book is called The Kingdom of Women: Life, Love, and Death in China's Hidden Mountains. So she kind of recounts her experience and her observation about this really unique society because. The people living there they call themselves Mosuo, like、mm -hmm. we said, Mosuo Ren.、Mm -hmm. So the Mosuo community is one of the few surviving matrilineal society in the world,、yep. and the only one in China.、Mm -hmm. And so always their grandmother, the head of the family, and she always sits as the head of the table. And her sons and daughters live with her, along with the children of the daughters. And follows the you know the maternal bloodline, and the men they educate the children of their sisters,、mm -hmm. but they have no responsibilities of their own children. You know, she yes, I think there's true love there. Yeah, that's It's true. It's just because of the social system, they、um, they do not live in the same quarters with the women they love. <laughs> yeah, they have this unique practice called soulhun, working marriage. It's like two persons who really love each other. They will just get together. When the love disappears, they just well. Go you know, their separate ways. Go their separate way. So it doesn't mean women there. They are women of easy virtue. And you know, here in China, we have this old saying called "nan zhu wai, nu zhu nei." So、mm -hmm. basically, it means men are breadwinners, and whereas women are homemakers. So some people will assume since this community is a matriarchal society, so it must be the directly opposite of the patriarchal society. But it's not. Actually, those women, they have fashioned a world. Based more on equality between two genders rather than the superior and inferior model adopted by many many other societies, you know, since born in many lines of jobs, we as women we feel like we have to deal with glass ceiling. We have to, you know,、hmm. deal with those things. But these women, as this also observes, most of women they rock with confidence. Because they don't need to fight for empowerment, because they are empowered from birth, and you can understand what the world will be if a woman is born free from any culture or society, you know, restriction to party, to love, to lead, to toy. But the sad thing is, as the author, you know, wrote in the last chapter, this society is dying out as well.
Mm. So if you want to catch, you know, the last games of this last surviving major archive society, I think this book is the one you must read. Mm. Yep. Sounds interesting. I think for whoever lives in China for some time, they might have already learned something about this special community there、mm-hmm. in Yunnan.、Yeah. But、uh, if you ask them to tell about all those specifics about this society, then maybe they cannot tell in details. So probably all of us should check out this book.、Mm. I don't know about that because <laughs> because to me it seems like a very feminism kind of book. <laughs> a And, little bit.、Uh, yeah. Yeah, but I'm not saying like I don't believe in feminism. I'm just feel like yes, we need to empower women, and I I agree that there are some in in equality. And but on the other hand, I always feel like I don't want to go to another extreme. Like women are so I I just want to be the queen and that kind of thing. No, I, it's not like that. I'm a little bit worried about myself. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think you need to worry about yourself. I think the reason that we have so many voices about empowering women、mm-hmm. is because you know there are a lot of work still needs to be done. Yeah, you need to do really a lot. You need to shout and scream、mm-hmm. about empowering women before they could actually be empowered. Yeah, you know what? I think the Mosul tribe they have been there and practice this their、mm. tradition for thousands of years. Yeah, and I think feminism it has nothing to do with like you know women. Have to be more powerful than men. I think the key issue about feminism is equality. This is our key concern here. Okay, I think I'm going to recommend the next book. Its title is "A Little History of Economics," and it's published by Yale University Press. Well,、wow. and actually, this book is like a series of book. This is only、uh, the "A Little History of Economics" is the only one of it. There are other books like "A Little History of Religion," "A Little History of Philosophy," "A Literature of Language," or maybe "The History of the World." And the reason why I want to recommend this "A Little History of Economics" is that it's a very vivid storybook introductions to economy for young and for old alike, and it combines like very fiery、uh, and inter- entertaining and engaging tones with, at least I think, very charming personal insights. And it's a very good introduction book to economy, this field, and. I think because this book is very light and very easy to read, it doesn't give you much pressure.、Mm-hmm. And if you are a, you don't know much about economy, this is a very good book to start because it's interesting to read, and you can read, you know, before you go to bed and something, because it has something to do with my personal experience. Before I read this book, I thought economy is something. You know that has to do with numbers and yeah, stuff. Yeah, data. Yeah. Yeah, and that would you know immediately steer me away. But because of this book, I realized you know economy is very. I can't understand it,、mm-hmm. and it has everything to do with my life. And it actually corrects a lot of my misunderstanding about my life, or about a lot of you know social events or even historical events, such as, for example. In one chapter, it talked about imperialism、mm-hmm. in this、uh, economics, and it actually explains in a very plain language and very concise language how this mechanism works, how the system works. And then I try to recall what I learned from my, you know, history class back in high school.、Mm-hmm. 
And I realized the teacher didn't actually spend any time on explaining to me how this imperialism works.、Mm-hmm. Instead, they spend a lot of time on telling you the bad consequences of imperialism and you know colonization and all those horrible practices. And then I started to kind of like rethink what that kind of education has. Actually, left in me without really understanding the concept of imperialism or how the mechanism works. So I think I thought I was like open-minded person, but then after reading this book, the the book about economy and stuff, I started to realize actually I'm not. I believe that if you studying the history itself can't really. Make you understand the history, learn from the lessons. You need the help from other subjects like economy. But of course, if you、uh, have the opportunity to explore other fields like、uh, religion or maybe philosophy or language, it will also kind of fresh your understanding of some previous social events and stuff. Hmm. I think for a lot of people, although we are not economics majors, we should also learn some basics、yeah. about economics, so we can understand the society better.、Mm-hmm. And lately, there have been quite a few such books, like the book introduced by Siray sounds. Quite interesting. Sounds really refreshing. Okay, Ningji. So what yeah, else on your mind? Yeah, since we are talking about economics and business and all those stuff, I'm going to recommend a book about management. So、mm. this book is called "The Hard Thing About Hard Things," building <laughs> with a subtitle "Building a Business When There Are No Easy Answers." This book is written by Ben Horowitz. Ben Horowitz is the co-founder of、uh, Andreessen Horowitz, the very famous venture capital firm in America. It's very famous in the Silicon Valley. This firm invested in a lot of internet-related businesses like Skype, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and a few other famous ones. But before that, he was the CEO of Netscape. And Loud Cloud, Loud Cloud was a cloud service provider. It, it was sold for 1.6 billion dollars when Loud Cloud was on the brink of bankruptcy.、Mm-hmm. So that was really a miracle. This guy is seen as the godfather figure there in the Silicon Valley.、Mm-hmm. There are a lot of such books available, but usually they tell. You know how amazing to set up your own business, how great it feels, and how to be successful. This book is different from those type of books. It tells you about the difficulties, you know, being a CEO of running a business, of selling and buying and all those stuff. So he's been very honest and truthful. The first half of the book is about his own stories. He told about his failures, about his struggles, and. It's like in his four words. This is not the exact words. It's just to carry the meaning of it. To an entrepreneur, the real difficulty is not、um, how to set an ambitious goal. It's about when you have to lay off staff. How to do that? How to fire or even demote a friend? How to like poaching competitors? All those stuff. And then later on, in the second half of the book, he、um, basically put the materials from his own blog over the years, and to like impart knowledge about how to run a business, what to do when you are facing a major crisis, like 
your company is, is about to fail, what to do,、mm-hmm. how to act as a CEO, because maybe for other people in this company they do not care so much,、yeah. but as a CEO, it's all about you. If this business fails. You should be the person who is going to be responsible for all the investors for this business. So all those very interesting stuff, and he told all these things in a very candid way, and that's the thing that impressed me.、Uh, you would say maybe that's the thing for a lot of tech startup companies or an experienced CEO to learn. But in fact, I think it tells you a lot. For the ordinary readers, you know, you would sometimes spot. Ah, that's why we have this problem in our office in my company,、mm-hmm. and you can get a different perspective—the、mm-hmm. perspective of the managers and the business runners.、Mm-hmm. You know, usually for a white-collar worker, you think from your own perspective, but this book can provide you with another perspective. It's more like survive one on one in the workplace, <laughs> but you understand the mechanism yeah. better. Yeah, and you will understand the meaning of true leadership. Exactly. Our book critic Shi Yu there speaking with Ningjing and Sirei about their favorite writings. If you want to hear their complete conversation, you can download the podcast by searching the keyword "ink and quill" on iTunes. In this episode, we got an insight into our colleagues' favorite reads, but it's now time to hand over the baton to you. Remember, all genres are welcome. If you want to share with us the books you love the most, feel free to leave us a message on our Facebook page, China Plus, or simply drop us an email at inkandquill at qq dot com. I N K N D Q U I L at QQ.com. Thank you for tuning in. I'm your host Yang Yong. Hope you have a wonderful World Book Day.